Inbound gets it into Shackle. Shackle to Flynn for the win. It's Two third. Backhanded by the shortstop. Blum got a hurry. Got him. Yes. 479. Trevor Hoffman has become the all-time saves leader in Major League Baseball history, and they're all chasing him. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode eight of Connected by Seams podcast. I'm Seth Smith, along with Garrett Smith and Danny Espinoza. How are y'all doing? We apologize for the bit of delay uh, between episodes here. The trio has been a little bit busy uh, between family time, vacation, um, life, just yes, things sir. getting in the way. But here we are. We're excited to be back uh, and bring you another episode, this one with two-time Emmy winner, and ESPN broadcaster Steve Quiss. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Steve just a little bit in, in my broadcasting path, and uh, he's awesome. Steve has also spent time the voice of the, uh, the Padres and the Angels, uh, six years as in, in the big leagues as a broadcaster, which is pretty awesome, and, and he's had a good story along the way. So uh, before we dive into all that, guys, I know, uh, as mentioned, we've been a little busy. Um, what you guys been up to? I know G and I have been in Newport. Maybe dive into kind of what you guys have been up to. Yeah, shit. I, I took a long drive out to my farm out here in Colorado, but um, it's about it. I took a 10-hour drive with the family, get away from California, get out of California with all the crap going on there. It's kind of <laughs> nice to get away from the from the crap. So we came out to the farm and uh, just been hunting a little bit, fishing a little bit. Boys love it. Wife loves it out here. So really just taking the time to – to get away to a happy place. Yeah, some of your posts that you've been posting, I mean, it's it's not it's not hard to see why you're out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're wide open spaces. It's beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah, and yeah, stuff like you, like you mentioned, we're we've been spending our time in Newport. Uh, families getting a beach house, or we've been doing it. What is it like, sixty-seven years or something like I, that? Just throw but, a number out there, a high one, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, time. It's been good though. I mean, dude, the beaches are packed. They are packed and apparently stealing all the Wi-Fi from every location and we oh. haven't been able to record anything down there. I've been trying to stay away from that W word for freaking weeks now, man. That that Wi-Fi has been a trouble. I was out in front of a Starbucks trying to make it work. You guys have been in your cars trying to make it work. Uh, it's been a mess, but we promised this episode is worth it. It was a heck of a time catching up with Steve and kind of just sharing his success along the way. But on that note, this is probably a good time to, to give that shout out. If you guys follow us on Instagram, uh, you may have seen the, the posts on our story of the rec recording location on the, the balcony of just, uh, or on, excuse me, on the rooftop of just an absolute gorgeous place. Uh, in Newport Beach, California, and um, probably a good time to shout out Mike and Debbie Felix. Uh, thank you guys for opening your doors, allowing that to happen. And our brother Ryan, G and I, uh, our brother Ryan Bright lived on that street for a little bit, uh, got to know the Felix family, and we took advantage of another connection. Working uh, the connections. And spoiled, like yeah. So yeah. shout out to Ryan as well. We know he's a listener of the fan. So um, 
everyone involved to make that happen was was awesome uh, in the midst of a panic of what the hell are we going to do. Uh, <laughs> worked, worked out pretty awesome. Um, so again, we're excited to uh, get into the interview and we'll send it to the interview now with ESPN broadcaster Steve Quiss. Hello, everybody. Welcome into today's episode of Connected by Scenes podcast. I'm Seth Smith, along with Garrett Smith and Danny Espinoza. And today we are joined by the former voice of the San Diego Padres, Los Angeles Angels, a two-time Emmy winner and ESPN broadcaster, Steve Quiss. How are we doing, Steve? Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, fellas. I appreciate it. I can't wait for the chat. We got, should we get it out of the way? Yeah, we have to. We have to. Four of us have Harrisburg Senators hats on. And I got the old school one from the 1999 season. And to complete that, Danny played for the Senators. So oh, there we, we go. It, it all, yeah. the full square now, oh, um, nice. which is so cool. Uh, so we're going to be trending big time in uh, whatever that area code is. I don't even know. What's the area code out there? Oh, shoot. Put me on the spot. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get something from like Hershey out there. Some, yeah, there you go. Hershey. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll look it up as, we, uh, as we're chatting. Yeah. Well, Steve and I um, go back a little bit. I've been fortunate enough to work alongside Steve uh, and also firsthand look uh, to see you work at your craft. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. So excited to have you on. Um, you yourself, uh, a local guy like us, also from the Orange County area. Yes. Um, grew up in Fullerton. Uh, what was that like uh, for us? I loved being right where we were. It was the hub of, you know, you had sports everywhere. You had Disneyland, yeah. Beach, all that. Um, I, I imagine it was the same for you growing up. Yeah, and I would go to the beach all the time, and then I would wish that I would be at Anaheim Stadium, uh, you know, announcing games. <laughs> and now as I get closer to 50, I'm like, when I go to a baseball game, I'm like, man, I wish I was at the beach, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, and, and Danny would appreciate it. You know, you went to modern day, and you're a little bit younger. Well, you're a lot younger than I am. Um, but when I was, you know, playing, I played high school baseball at Fullerton. And in that, that area right there, I mean, where you had El Dorado and Esperanza and Los Alamitos and those high schools with, I mean, the middle infield of one of our competitors was Nevin at shortstop and, you know, uh, Brett Boone at second base, right? And his brother Aaron yeah. was at Canyon. And you had, I think, I was trying to count, I got at least eight guys out of that. It was called the Empire League then. Yep. That, that pretty significantly for Major League Baseball. I mean, like, the worst guy might have been like Mike Kelly, uh, the Los Al center fielder played like only three years for goodness sakes in the big leagues. Um, yeah. So that was a lot of good guys. So that was fun to be in that area, the hotbed of baseball and sports. And, you know, we had moved from New Jersey in the late seventies. I was a Yankee fan and then developed into an angel fan. And then, uh, you know, just like everyone else in Orange County, right. Just go to the beach, ride the uh, OCTD down uh, beach Boulevard, right to the uh, <laughs> beach or Newport where, where you're at now. So, it was a lot of fun, man. I really cherish uh, those those days. I figured you, you could probably re- relate to that, Angie. Take hopping on the bus. Oh, all the time. <laughs> me, me, and a, you know my brother and a couple of buddies. We'd always take the bus down there. We had that route down to a science. Yep, forty yeah, street bus thirty or whatever. Did you bring the uh, the uh, your surfboard and all that good stuff? Oh yeah, we we had that. We had the chair, backpacks. We had packed lunch. We had you know. <laughs> The full nine, we, we took that just about every day. Yeah, and it was a great place for high school football. I mean, I used to – we would play a lot. In those days, because um, people didn't uh, – you know, high school – not every high school had its own stadium. You know, so at Fullerton, we hosted with Troy. And in our league, we had six teams but only three stadiums. So we'd go down on Thursday night. We'd always watch Modern Day and Servite play or 
Servite Crespi or whatever down at the Santa Ana Bowl. So it was a lot of fun. And then you could watch, you know, other games on sat on Saturday. So there was high school football Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so I was as a sports nut. I mean, I was everywhere watching everything, uh, you know. Yeah. Now, you, you being from the East Coast now, were your, like, were your favorite players East Coast guys or were they – when you moved to California, was it like, oh, my, the Angels guys are, are your new guys now? Or are yeah, you so always, went, like, East Coast? You know, it was, went quickly from, like, Reggie Jackson, right? Because when I was, you know, 1977, the guy hit three home runs in one game right against the Dodgers. So I love Reggie. And then as I, you know, came to California, I love, like, Brian Dowdy. I mean, you remember Brian Downing? You're going to get some fans if our, listens, if our family listens to this. Well, you know, the interesting thing, <laughs> has anybody ever looked at how long Brian Downing actually played Major League Baseball? Forget it. The guy played, and you'll, you'll appreciate this, Danny, the guy played 22 years in Major League yeah. Baseball. It's, un, it's unheard of really? now. Yeah, we almost had 400 at-bats and played in like 140 games every year. Oh, man. Um, and I had re- it was funny, on Twitter, probably like a year ago today, I think it was last summer, I just sent on Twitter, I was like, I wonder what Brian Downing's doing today. Anybody remember? And somebody said, oh, man, he lives next to me, and I'm going to go over and knock on his door. And uh, turns out he's in Texas now, but he lived next door to somebody in Yorba Linda when he was playing, and now he's in Texas doing something. And so um, I really like those guys that lasted, you know, as long as they did. And, you know, loved Ryan Carew and got to see Nolan Ryan pitch. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then it became, it became Angel Guys. Um, you know, through through the eighties, for goodness sakes, and eighty six was just a heartbreaker when they, you know, oh. were the Donnie Moore game and I, you know, and all yeah. that good stuff. So it's just oh yeah. Well, <laughs> as we're on the topic, I was walking by as we were talking before the show. I'm in Newport right now, and I was walking by one of the establishments, and out comes uh, Chuck Finley. Um, oh, I didn't, I didn't say it. I double took, and I was like. Chuck, like I just said it, and I kind of turned my head in case it wasn't him, and he like, turned around. <laughs> he turned around, and I was like, "You're the man! You're the man!" And he kept walking, hopped in his big old truck, and got out of here. I was like, "Ah, like I wish I could have." I was in an angel tank top, like I was dressed for the moment. He was—he's a big dude, huh? Oh, yeah. he's big. He looked good he's too. Huge. Yeah, he looked. I like Doug, Doug DeCinces. Um, yeah, I've always yeah, wanted yeah. to do. If I if I ever had any money, I've always I've always wanted to do sort of a. Do they have still have any money now kind of series for guys that like played in the 1980s, (laughs) like stars? The other day I was on uh, Baseball Reference and getting back to like a guy that played as long as Downing but had an even better career. Anyone seen like what Carl Yastrzemski did? And now I know I I hate the Red Sox, right? (laughs) I'm an angel guy, not a big Red Sox guy, but that guy played like, again, another guy, 22, 23 years. I think he made less than $9 million in total earnings. Oh, which wow. was unbelievable for the career. Just go on baseball reference one time. Yeah. Look at how, how good he was. And you'll appreciate this, Danny, too, is he had his full four years at, um, at Notre Dame. And then wow. yeah. he played at Long Beach State, so he probably had to stay three years, right? Yeah. Imagine a full four years and then starting your career and making it as, as long as you did. And I still remember a game at Anaheim Stadium when I was young. It was flag day. It was probably like 1980, 1981, uh, where he was – he was just had a hat on. He was one of the guy, one of the last guys, like those NHL guys that you know for the Oilers that didn't have to wear helmets. You yeah. know, they were, yeah, they burned guy, that. Get out there in his cloth bat or his wool batting helmet, and I remember yeah. him hitting a home run to, in the bullpen in right field uh, when he was probably like 44, 45 years old. Yeah, it's crazy to have to see those guys have careers like that because that I mean the way you speak of it, it's unheard of. You don't have guys that. Play play 15 years anymore 12 a lot of guys don't get 10 years anymore it's really hard right. now with the, 
the way the game is, has uh, evolved, most guys don't get 10 years anymore. But it's so cool to, to look back. I got to play with a couple guys that had 20 years. Um, I got to play with Pudge. And then um, I think Matt Stairs was right there, like 19. Yep. And so it's cool to see those guys. I mean, they're 40 years old playing, hitting pinch hit home runs. Or play. It's, yeah, you're talking that it's, it's pretty special to see guys that are in the game for that long. Yeah, and I worked, you know, alongside my, my broadcasting days with Tony Gwynn. It was always like, hey, 20 years on a bubblegum card with the same team. I mean, that's oh, just, yeah. that's, yeah. that's special. Yep. And even Tony, I mean, Tony, you know, boy, he – he would be worth, you know, three times as much as he wound up getting paid over, you know, over the life of his career. But yeah, when you look at like Yaz's career earnings and you're like, I don't even know if it was 9 million to be honest with you. I have to look at, but it was something astonishing. Um, like guys been retired 40 years now or something like that. Yeah. In 83. So, you know, wow. Well, I got five on it. If you ever do want to make that a series, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we're going to do there. <laughs> that, would, that would be fun. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd get enough guys to, uh, you know, the Carney Lancers and the Rick Burlson's of, those, of the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bobby Gritch, for that matter, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you yeah, go yeah. From, from East Coast to West Coast. You kind of bounced around throughout your career. We'll kind of touch on that. But now residing in San Diego, you have, you know, your wife, your kids. Um, have they uh, followed your footsteps to U of A or broadcasting field at all or anything like that? Um, no broadcasters, but my son's actually entering his final year at uh, the University of Arizona. Sweet. So Wildcats. Wildcats. Yeah, Wildcats. But he's had Oh, a, that's right, Danny. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. He's had a sort of different experience. I mean, he's in uh, he's into law and all that kind of stuff, and he never okay. does video games, and he never leaves the, you know. I mean, a couple of kids from his Little League team are actually on the U of A team, and they were um, all Americans and probably going to be, you know, They'll, they'll make it, you know, probably in high in the minor leagues. They'll be first or second rounders. And he never – I'm like, hey, you ever, you ever talk to, you know, Dayton Dooney and those guys? Nah, man, I don't <laughs> I got to build Minecraft and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's going – my daughter's about ready to uh, go to San Diego State. So, But they have no interest in broadcasting. Call me crazy. <laughs> Maybe it's not you, but didn't she call a game with you or didn't – have to fill in or am I way off? No. So, so we actually fooled her, um, uh, about a year ago. So I was doing a game with, uh, Ryan Hollins, UCLA and NBA guy. Yeah. And he had gotten stuck in, um, at NBA all-star weekend. And so it was a, it was a big game too. It was BYU at LMU, which is always a big game. And it was a one o'clock start on this regional network. And so he, he didn't get, he couldn't get there. And Jeff Turiel, who you know Jeff, is, is now yep. SID at, um, at UCSD. So he's sort of our bosses, right? Yeah. And at the time, he was the, the coordinating producer for the WCC network. And his job was to hire all of us. So we were just driving. He lives in uh, La Costa area. So we were driving up to LMU, just calling everyone in the Rolodex. It's funny. Everyone wants to be on TV, right, until you actually need them the day of. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Ryan's not going to be there. So well, we had a um, – uh, female that was a sideline reporter and we're like oh she played basketball with we'll the slider and everything's okay cool. so we call her and we hear this like dum, 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 dum. what the hell it's like yeah i'm at this disco in vietnam okay <laughs> so you're gonna be late <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't realize she was on the schedule so long story short i have to do the game by myself but we're gonna run through the open and so my daughter was on a tour at lmu 
and then we were practicing the open, you know, 15 minutes before, like 1245. And I'm like, honey, you got to get on here. You got to help me out. You got to be my color commentator. And the guys in the truck, you know, we just rolled the open and everything. And I came out and I asked her a question and she just went, <laughs> <laughs> like it was an SF, SNL skit. She was like, that was about it. So broadcasting anyway, <laughs> career was over. I still have it. And she, you know, I thought I could fool her, but she knows I'm, crap so that's okay well that makes me feel better because i made a note here but i was like i'm just gonna ask it i don't want to be way off but i i feel like i remember you telling me that that's hilarious yeah so it was, it was kind of cool i got it on tape somewhere it's pretty funny to show her yeah well we brought up the wildcats why arizona um did you have any any particular draw to attending uh, university of arizona or just kind of um, well, it worked out. Not really. Not well, not, not really to be honest with you, but, um, so like all broadcasters, everybody wants to go to Syracuse, right? So oh, yeah. Yeah. I woke yeah. up just one day in like third grade and I'm like, I'm going to Syracuse. I'm going to Syracuse. But unfortunately Syracuse has, um, this rule about having to have good grades and SATs to get in. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a silly little rule. Right? Yeah. So I fought everything to get in tooth and nail. And I finally got in, they let me in through some back door. I, you know, I wasn't, my, my SATs were terrible. Although my grades were okay. So they let me in, and then my dad's like, I'm not paying for that crap. So, sorry, man. You've got to figure something else out. So, if you're going to go to Syracuse, right, you're, you're going to go there because it's a great student radio station and the pipeline and everything. So, I'm like, well, man, now I need another plan. Every other big broadcasting school is private, like Boston University or Northwestern. So, I'm like, well, where can I go where they don't do broadcasting at all? And maybe while I'm a student, I'll have a chance to get an actual job in the market. And then I'll skip sort of that step, right? Because in the late 80s, early 90s, almost everybody had to go to this, like a tiny market in Montana, right? Or, you know, somewhere in the Midwest or even Yuma, Arizona. Then you go to a Tucson and then you move on to your Phoenix and LA and everything. And that, that's kind of the stepladder. And so I just go, oh, let me just go to Tucson, right? And before you know it, I mean, it was the best decision I ever made. Because when I got there, um, the guy who was working baseball games and every game had to be part of the package for the the, the radio station in a, in a small market like that was they had to do football, basketball, and baseball. And Daniel, though, in those days, like baseball started, like if you were in the Sun Belt, man, you could start January 3rd and have a three-game series against like St. Francis College from New York. And they had to have all those on the radio in Tucson. And so they hired me because the play-by-play guy, the number one guy was off doing – football and basketball is a marquee sport, right? They were winning national championships and going to the final right. four. I, was like, I don't want to go do six pack baseball. So, and, and in those days they paid, it was like 1990, 91. They were paying like 300 bucks a game. So I can oh. make work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, make $900. And back then you could, it, if you gave me 900 bucks, I could live the whole semester on it. And I remember my dad dropped me off as a freshman at U of A and like with a thousand bucks. And I think I gave him back like 200 bucks when I got back at Christmas time. Right. So, so it actually became a good decision because before you knew it, I was on this station. I was not only did I skip the student station, but I went right to the number one station in town. And then by the time I was a senior, I was um, also the weekend sports anchor at the CBS affiliate. And then there was a triple A team there for the Houston Astros. And the guy who was the play-by-play guy there was Mario Pemba, former Angel guy. Tigers, right? So he calls me up one day and he's like, love listening to you do Wildcat baseball. Um, my wife's um, due in July and we have a long trip to Canada, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and then uh, Portland or something. So it's like a 16-game trip and she's due and I need a backup. So they hired me for the season and before he knew it, I had a triple-A job. 
So it was just sort of like, whoa, this was uh, like couldn't that. Have any better, right? Yeah. Now I probably don't have the same kind of connections I might have had at Syracuse, but it's certainly started me on the on the right path. And sounds like yeah. it took advantage too, which is the biggest part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to skip some some tough parts too, not having to go through like the low levels or not having to go through the the college student, you know, radio part of it. Like you got to yeah. skip some some steps and move up, which seems pretty quick. But yeah, cool. but I, you know, I really didn't want to, and you, Danny, you'd appreciate this too, all of you guys, right? Was I mean, the thing I wanted to do was ride the buses in a ball more than anything else. And the guy who owned the, <laughs> so the guy who owned the AAA team also owned the uh, Quad City Angels, yeah. the all Midwest League team. And so the natural progression was, was the number two guy in Tucson, when the, when the number one guy moved out in Quad Cities, um, he would get that job. So I was like in line to get that job. And I recall I got two A-ball jobs. One was in Beloit in the Midwest League. And we had the earthquake in 94 in, um, in uh, Northridge, right? Parents of Fullerton and everything's shaking. I'm like, I'm going to go to Beloit early. And I pulled into Tucson, Arizona, and I, I saw one ad for a weekend sports anchor. And I'm like, I'll take uh, let me see. And they said, yeah, we'll hire you. And, you know, I was paying like 24000 as opposed to I was going to make 800 a, a month in Beloit. So I'm like, all right, I'll take that. And I went back to Tucson. And then after that, I got a job with the Palm Springs Angels a couple of years after doing, doing Tucson. And then that fell through when I got a better TV job. So um, I wanted to be in the California League, the Midwest League. I didn't want to skip that step. But What organization was Beloit at the time? Was it the Twins still? No, it was the Brewers, Beloit Brewers. Okay. So you, yeah. were, you, you just packed up and – we're going one place. everything in an 86 Toyota in Fullerton, California. And I drove right On your to, way to Wisconsin and you stopped and On my way to Wisconsin for – The guy had originally offered me 600 bucks, but I talked him up to 800 And then I was going to get a shift across the way at the ice rink, just helping people get in or something like that. Um, and so, you know, and I, I went there and uh, I got the job in Tucson. So it was like, all right, I'm going to – I'm going to wow. take a tanker job, so – that was that awesome? Pretty awesome. Was it always baseball for you? Was that the the always kind of the end goal? Yeah, for baseball you? and basketball. Yeah, I always sort of wanted to be an NBA guy. Still do, um, and and just love baseball. You know. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. You know, and um, so hard. <laughs> and it's you know, my, there's sometimes where minor league guys are getting jobs, and there's other times when when there's not when they're not. You know, sort yeah, of goes yeah. in these streaks and. Um, I have a question for you with the way that, you know, with you calling games, like with the way that you see the game has developed now and it's so pitcher dominant, is it as fun to call a game now? I mean, compared to like a steroid era, you know, type of league where it was just tons of power, tons of offense. Now you have this dominant, dom- yeah, tons of action. Now it's just dominant, yeah. pitching, dominant pitching. You know, in the fourth inning, the starter comes out and it's a hundred, ninety-five to a hundred. The rest of the game out of the bullpen. So, like, yeah. can you, you know, can you talk about that a little bit? Is that, you know, is it as fun for you as you know to watch that stuff? Well, it's always been fun. I mean, it's probably harder for you guys, right? That we're trying to, you know, when you probably started your career, guys in the, you know, the middle innings didn't pitch like that. Yeah, uh, you know, have that kind of yeah. – and all the MLB, it's funny. I was watching, like, that great – that Ryan Sandberg game the other day um, that uh, from 1984 when I think I was 13. It was the Cards and the Cubs, and he went, like, five for six. He tied he it and then won it, right? Tied it and won it off yeah. of Suter, right? So oh. he hit him. Off Suter, yeah. 
Yeah, and Seymour had a great fork ball, right? And so yeah. he was just like, okay, I'm going to swing at the bottom of the ball as opposed to across the top, right? So he hit him out to left in like the bottom of the ninth and then took him out on the tenth. But you would never Hammered. see you never, Yeah, you'd never see Suter out, a guy like Suter out there for two angles or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's certainly changed, but I, you know, you adapt to it and I've done more college baseball than anything nowadays. It's like, you know, that Friday is really fun. Half the Saturday is okay. <laughs> when you get to Sunday. <laughs> oh my God. This is, this, I mean, some of these games that we had in the six pack on Sundays back in the early nineties were just, I mean, dreadful. You'd be there all day. And it was like 21, 17, you know, Arizona state over Arizona, uh, and by the way, there was only six teams at that time in the Pac-12 that participated in baseball in the South, right? And the North sort of had their own, their own thing. Uh, and there was a lot of pros and everything. But back to your question, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it, you, you just got to adjust, right? And I always, you know, as long as you know what guys are throwing and can get a feel for the game, um, you know, I think it's, it's okay. Um, the hardest thing, you know, for me when you're broadcasting is like not to talk too much. That's the, that's the toughest thing when you get into the technical part of it. I mean, the game sort of, you let it come to you, but you got to pick and choose your spots to to talk and have lively discussion. So it's quite an art, be quite honest with you that, uh, yeah. you know, it takes a long time to learn just reps, just like, it's just like a mic, like any other guy, right. You had to have your, you know, your 500 at bats before you got to the big leagues. Right. Well, it's, it's crazy because you say it's an art because I, I, I've heard of guys, you know, when I'm listening to games I played in the big leagues and it'd be like, Oh, Garrett Smith's up to bat. And they'd start talking and talking and talking. They're like, and the counts two and two. And you're like, <laughs> where the hell did the bat go? Yeah. You know, well, like that's the two, thing. Right, Steve can tough. say it too is, is TV and radio are so different, especially for baseball. I mean, I've always – I have a face for radio, so I prefer radio. I like, I like chatting. I, not chatting too much, but I like kind of drawing that picture. Too, I mean, if, if I had my druthers, I would do it. And even yeah. when I work with, with Mario, you know, he wound up doing four or five years with the Angels and then like 18 with the Tigers on TV. And all yeah. his Angel stuff was on the radio. And he's always, he's always like, I want to go back. I want to go back. And he got to go back and do the Red Sox last year on radio, and he loved it. That's yeah. an art yeah. form too, right? And then – the try and dial it back on TV um, is, is so much, so much different. But, and a lot of times, as, as you know, Danny, you have, you know, the wives are always listening, right? So you always have to figure out what not to say. I mean, the amount of times that I got yeah. screamed at for, you know, saying something um, I'll never forget uh, Jared Goff's dad. Um, so, you know, Jared, right? Um, yeah. obviously. Heard of him. Uh, and, and Jerry was a catcher for, um, the Astros, and he was at the time we were the Astros uh, AAA affiliate, and uh, so he had just come off that game where he had allowed seven um, pass balls in a game. Do you remember this nice. game? It's the record, six or seven. And so, you know, I remember being on the air, and I was sort of the color analyst, and Mario said something to me, and he was like, "What sort of advice do you have?" And I was like, "For for him," and I'm like, "Why? Well, if I was him, I'd pick up an apartment guide to Tucson." Because that's where he's going to wind up going, you know. <laughs> they have one down at Circle K. <laughs> Danny, if your family had heard that, right? Oh, the amount of crap. But to this day, even because I did a bunch of Jared's games when he was in high school football, you know. And I see the dad and the family, and I'm like, I don't even want to remind him. That <laughs> yeah. I was the, the baseball guy, and I've had 
I've had managers, one manager wanted to throw me out of a window. Um, so it's uh, quite interesting. It's, it's tough. It's a tough job you guys do because it's so easy to get caught up, I feel like, as a fan, but to remember the professional side of it that we have kids, we have wives, we have parents, and we're everything to that small group. Right. And when something, when the family feels like, oh, they're being attacked, it's like, oh man, go after. Them. I mean, I've gotten it in. I've gotten it in with um, with people, our radio and, and and TV guys before. I mean, not all of them, but I've. I mean, I've said my said a couple words. So I'm just like, dude, you got, you know, they got. You, be just be careful. Be respectful of the families. Like, you know, yeah. like they're know, people no, too. You know, yeah. No parents want to hear their kids getting bashed on TV or on the radio. It's like, and it's a tough job because as a fan, because I'm as even though I played for a long time, I'm still a fan. Right. So your emotions can get in the way for sure. The emotions. And that's, and that's part of the reason I kind of stopped watching mainstream sports is because I started catching myself watching the NFL, but like, how did he not catch that? And I'm like, cause it's not that easy. Yeah. Right. You know, and right. I, I started forgetting that and I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm done watching sports cause I, I, I can't watch it without judging it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the hardest thing to learn. I've heard, you know, I've had a couple of discussions with Vince Scully. One of them was, um, was like, don't ever make the players your friends. Don't even, I don't want to know their names outside of, you know, I don't want to talk to them on the plane. None of that stuff. I had the, the unique, interesting thing that happened to me, and you can appreciate this, Danny, is um, when I would fill in for Matt Vazgersian in 2006, now the Padres had never had a no-hitter, and I don't think they've ever had a no-hitter. But six Fridays in a row, they took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, and I was the guy on the air, right? <laughs> Oh, great. You know, you know, you can't say it, right? You can't, right. You can't, you can't talk about it. And so, so we didn't for like the first three Fridays in a row. Right. And Mud Grant, Mark and I took a lot of crap for that from some fans who were like, you know, I didn't say anything. The players were like, thank you. Didn't say anything. You know, we, they never got the no hitter. anything. So we got to this, uh, this game, Chris Young, and it, they just replayed it on, Fox Sports the other day, um, where he took a no hitter to I think there was one out in the ninth inning, and Joe Randa hit a whole pinch hit home run uh-huh. to center field to end the the no hitter. And I the whole game I was like seventh, eighth, ninth inning. I'm like it's a no hitter, no hitter, you know. And so <laughs> like jinx, jinx, jinx. But what I had forgotten about this, and people were still killing. By the way, that game was in 2016. They replayed it a month ago. People were still killing me on Twitter. You jinxed it, you asshole. You know, oh 14, my gosh. 14 years later. Hey, people don't forget. forget. Yeah. <laughs> what I failed to tell them back, which I just remembered, was um, Mud Grant and I, earlier that week, so after we had had three no-hitter, three near-no-hitters going into the ninth inning, and that great pitching staff with Maddox, Wells, right? Yeah. Um, so there was always going to be a chance, you know, on those days. We had we were at the can and walking in between the two of us was Vin Scully and Mud just said, Hey, hey Vin, like what do you do if you got a no hitter going to the ninth inning? Do you say it? Do you jinx? And he's like, Hey, it is up to you to tell that audience out there that it's a no hitter. And he and he said, You know what I tell him? I say, Everybody, call your friends. Yeah. Tell There's history going. So after that, I decided I am never again not saying it. Fast forward a couple of years later, and Chris Young has a perfect game going into the ninth inning in Milwaukee. And I haven't said anything. And I'm working in a three-man booth, me, Mud, and Tony Gwynn. 
So the three of us are, are doing the game. And we start out, I'm like, here we go to the ninth inning. Seven, nothing. <laughs> and it was a terrible, like a September roster, all the call-ups, right? He had no business getting it. And, uh, and, and Tony goes, you're not going to say it, are you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, Mud, you're not going to say it. None of you guys have the guts. Well, I'm going to say it. Uh, got a perfect game going. I'm like, thank you, Hall of Famer says it. Everybody loves me. <laughs> They're not going to um, burn him at the stake. No way. So he gets an out, and then Gabe Kapler comes up. Right? He's pinch hitting, and he's hurt, and he just he tattoos a pitch. Gabe Kapler. And, yeah. And so, so the no-hitter is gone. The perfect game's over, you know, everything. And so it's a travel day on Sunday. We're leaving Milwaukee, coming back to San Diego. And I got on the bus, man, and the cold stairs of just, I mean, you could tell I was up a creek without a paddle, man. The guys were ready to kill me. Um, and you have to ride in the front of the bus, right? There's usually like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And, and there's a player bus. But for some reason, I think this day there was only one bus, right? My life. Of course there was. Yeah. And so the guys are just like, they're all, of, and I can hear them talking to their wives. Yeah, he would have got it if that son of a bitch didn't say anything. <laughs> Yes, like killing me. So finally, we get on the plane, and we're sitting in the front of the plane, and Tony gets up, and this, this is why I love Tony. He goes, time out. He just goes, stop ragging this guy's ass. He's like, I said it, not him. He didn't say anything. I said it. So if you got any problem with me, you know, it, that's on me, man. And sat down, and I was like, holy crap. And we just had a nice flight back home, and nobody bothered me ever again over that. And Tony didn't even like flying. So it must have been really hard for him to get up in the front of, you know, a 25-man roster and say something like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, learning what not to say, too. Is a, is a it's crazy. It's crazy. It's about CY. You're talking about a big CY, right? 6'10 yeah. CY? Yeah. I was going to say that. If, if, there was, if there was one guy yeah. that probably was, like, the nicest about it, I would probably venture to say it was him. He's, like, the nicest <laughs> – one of the nicest people I've ever played with, the gentlest – I mean, gentle giant. Who did he, he – For some reason, he did not like me. He did, really? <laughs> yeah, he did not like me. Um, Maybe you didn't give him enough credit on his right jab. Who was he fighting that one day? Oh, I did that game. Someone char- yeah, someone charged him <laughs> down, right? Yeah, he fought Derek Lee and I, at Wrigley Field. I was doing that game, too. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. You know, Why would you take a guy on that has a 15-foot wingspan? Derek like, Lee's also <laughs> pretty big. It was, yeah, it but, was nuts. And yeah. CY, you know, I mean, that guy, like, threw – he was probably the least likely guy ever to get a no-hitter, even though he had a good fastball and a really good curveball. But like, people would foul stuff off, so he'd be at like 100 pitches by the yeah. sixth inning, right? So yeah. it was really hard to get him. the, And he never, ever got one um, in his career. But I'll, I'll never forget one time, this is how, how much he did not like me. I went in the clubhouse, and I, and I was the sideline reporter and the pregame show guy for the Padres. I'm like, can I have two minutes with you? And he's like, all right. And so he sits down in the dugout next to you. <laughs> Danny knows where this is going, right? He sits down in the dugout next to me, and there's that big Timex clock down the left field line, right? I see him look at it, and now I, now I know. I start talking right, right when it hits. I think we started at like 518, right when it hit 520. He just got up and walked out. And he was like, there's your two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, I'm like, whatever. It's, you know me, Seth. I mean, nothing, nothing really bothers me. Yeah, um, I'm sure you had a good really chuckle. Like the, you know, it bothered the producer because we had to kill like five minutes. But, and the only thing I can think of is like, you know, remember the game where Poolholes hit him square on, right? 
Remember yeah. the line drive that he took right yeah. and broke his yeah. And so I was the reporter for that. And, you know, I went down and found out some information underneath and reported it. It probably was something that maybe his family didn't like or something. So it's, you know. He probably, he probably asked him, how do you feel? And he's like, how the fuck do you think I feel? Exactly. Not to speak to him about that, but it was, you know, I mean, he just, like, I could tell he just didn't. You know, there's some guys that are just not going to like it's, it, right? It's just that. I mean, dude, there's plenty of guys i played with that we didn't get it along. It's just when sure. you work – in that close vicinity for 162 games, you ain't going to get along with everybody. That's just, right. how, that's just how it's going to be. Right. So it was, you know, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Yep. So we paused the first half of the interview there with ESPN broadcaster and two-time Emmy award winner, Steve Quiss. Um, from personal experience, I'll go first right off the bat, guys, in this field. It's so awesome to see someone have the confidence, have the natural ability to not shy away from an opportunity, know what he wants, and, and kind of go after it because there's no time to sit around in, in this field. Guys do it forever. And how they got there was networking, taking advantage um, of an opportunity. And like he says, not only, you know, saying yes to it, but you got to be good at it when you go fill in for someone. You have to, you know what I mean? You have to be able to stick out and and be recognizable and, and have someone be like, oh, shoot, we're in a pinch. Let's reach out to Steve. He did such a great job. You know what I mean? So it was so cool to, to kind of hear that. I mean, obviously, it, it has taken him so many different directions and things like that, but to, to kind of hear how it started and and I know you guys want to dive into that too, but just knowing right away what he wanted to do and, and finding that journey along, uh, along the way. Yeah. And, and to piggyback off of that point, what you're making there is, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids growing up want to be the professional athlete. They want to be that fireman. They want to be the astronaut, you know, and it's just funny the route that he was like, no, I want to be a broadcaster. And he, you know, he worked, he started working on his craft, if you think about it, at that young age. And so it allowed him to, once he was in that position, and as he mentioned, he didn't have to go through the, the minor league steps of broadcasting and, you know, sharpen the tools, polish his craft. He, he was ready. He was ready to jump right in the fire. And it's, it's clear in, in his work and, you know, that, that energetic, passionate uh, confidence like you're saying in his storytelling and his broadcasting I mean that conversation could have gone forever we could have yeah. talked about just about anything and I think he was gonna he was gonna jump right through the screen at us like it was great yeah no I agree and you know the point that I really liked was that you know you talk about him taking advantage of, of what was given to him was that you know he talked about wanting to go to Syracuse wanting to go to Syracuse that was his dream to go to Syracuse as broadcasting you know, I guess that's the mecca of broadcasting is to go to Syracuse University. And he finally gets in. And when he gets in, his dad says, mm, by the way, we're not paying for that. You have to figure <laughs> something else out. So the fact that he then chose the University of Arizona, which ended up leading him probably down, you know, possibly more success than he maybe could have ever had at Syracuse just because the path that he chose and where it led him. You know, he went to U of A because of the fact that he knew that there was not a broadcasting position there, really. And he wanted to go in and see if they if they had someone. And he went in there, and they basically kind of opened it up for him to take it. And he, he ran with it and kind of created his own career. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, just to, like you said, G, to have that at a young age where that's not a, I mean, you might listen to stuff, you know, know your person who calls the games for your favorite team, but rarely are those the, the select few that are trying to take up the broadcasting field. Uh, I know I did. I mean, I love to play imaginary baseball. I love to do what announced lineups, all that stuff, but I still had the dream of I'm going to play it. I'm not going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you, you were, know you were visualizing the actual game playing in exactly. the game, not necessarily the, the announcing, although you did that on the side. You <laughs> provided some great commentary to your, your games when you are little, for sure. At this time, we'll just, we'll just send it to the back half uh, of, the, of the interview with Steve. You mentioned uh, Matt Vaskersian and, and Matty V. You guys, it's actually a pretty funny story uh, of how you kind of got started and <clears throat> filling in for him, uh, if I remember correctly. If you want to maybe dive into that and how you kind of got your, your in uh, into the booth. Yeah, so actually Matty and I go way, way back to um, – we were both together in Tucson for uh, a long, long time because he was, he was with, the, with the Tucson Toros. But I met him uh, when he was the – voice of the High Desert Mavericks in like 1990. That was a team out in Atalanto, just north of uh, like San Bernardino. You go up to 15. Mm-hmm. You're on your way to Vegas, right? You go up to 395. I've been to that field, actually. Yeah, and it had the little um, – there was a big bar called the Cocky Bull next door. They had like the – you could ride the mechanical bull. And uh, so I remember going out there one day, and Vaz Gershon had like a fishing pole and he would put like tickets on the end of the fishing pole and put it into the stands and he'd reel it in and people would try and grab the tickets and everything. And, you know, that's something goofy that I would do. So the two of us uh, stayed in contact and I went to Tucson, he went to El Paso and he became the number one guy. And then, um, you know, then we sort of, I, I did my thing and went to San Diego. He went to Milwaukee. And then when we came back, um, he needed a, uh, he needed a backup guy and I had started working for channel four and they decided to make me the backup guy. And again, you guys, baseball guys will appreciate this. Um, I made my major league debut in relief because I sounded a lot like Matt. And one day they were playing the Rockies and it was a boring ass game. And you know, Rockies games at Coors Field, they're all 18 to 17, but even Petco Park, they were like 11 to nine. And he's like, I got a flight to catch. He's like, no one will know the difference. I'm out. Take over in the seventh. <laughs> I just came in in relief in the seventh and made my, my play-by-play debut, and nobody knew the difference from the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. It's on, and he went on to go do his, his uh, you know, uh, poker or whatever he was doing back then. And That's so, hilarious. And, but the problem was is that we all – I sounded so much like him. People just didn't like me, and they liked him. And, but there were some days where he would be like, hey, look, um, it was almost like working at Shakey's Pizza when I was a kid, right? So call up and be like, hey, man, I'll take your 10 to 2 on Saturday if you take my, uh, you know, 3 to 5 on Sunday. And, and so yeah. sometimes we would, sh- we would shift like that and he'd just be like – so there were times where I would do the game and people would not – my boss wouldn't even know it was me. And I'd go into his office and be like, okay, how, you know, how was it this weekend, you know? And he'd be like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I, I was the guy doing the game. He was like, really? Oh, I thought you guys were – pretty good and as a matter of fact I saw a tweet the other day um it's probably like right at the start of of this lockdown where somebody's like nobody can argue with me that Matt Vasgersian is not the greatest broadcaster in the world listen to this call and it was actually oh no way (laughs) (laughs) people were like yeah that was Steve I hate that guy man (laughs) (laughs) I'm like you know damn if you do damn if you don't 
<laughs> well, I mean, you got more than just a cup of Joe. You were the Padre, I mean, six years, four years? I got four, yeah, four, four years in San Diego and yeah. then two uh, with the Angels. Yeah. It was good. Um, yeah, I mean, a I wish I could have would love that. But, you know, sometimes you get in bad circumstances, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. you're in an organization where you're just blocked, right? Yep. You know, and how did that guy, the Cubs yeah. second base prospects do for 20 years, right? They, they had yeah. to go someplace else. And yeah. so what happened was Vaz Gershon left. They brought in another guy and, and then the new, you know, the Padres sold, right? And then the new owner's like, you know, we want to bring in uh, Dick Enberg. And then that was like, that was it. We were all out on the street. So yeah, it uh, happens in this game. It's just how about, how do you rebound, which is, which is the key. Yeah. Oh, I was going to bring up, you, you had mentioned that you did uh, the, the golf combo of the dad and then Jared yeah. in different sports, obviously, but do you have any other memorable uh, combinations like that that you can recall? Just, I mean, your career's pretty vast and, and yeah, got a lot I mean, of it's years. Yeah, in 89. Um, there's got to be course. one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember – yeah, Reggie. I mean, that's the that's the key thing. I mean, when I started in, in San Diego, he was just a freshman at Helix High School. And, you know, now he's like one of the top guys at, at Fox, for goodness sakes. Um, Alex Smith – trying to think of father-son combos or, or anything like that. But, I, you know, I've covered – so, actually, my – I was doing my ba- football reel the other day, and I'm like, all right, Josh Rosen's on there throwing touchdowns for St. John Bosco. Uh, Jared Goff's on there. Uh, Reggie Bush is on there. Uh, Kenny Stills is on there. <laughs> Build a roster off of that. There's like five or six other guys that I, you know, had the pleasure of calling – um, and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, amazing. Now, well, on the flip side of that, it sort of dates your resume tape, right? If you're trying to get away with, with something that's five years old, they're probably like, well, wait a minute. Jared Goff's been in the NFL now for four years. What you it means you've only gotten better. That's all. Yeah, Experience. So, but, um, yeah, yeah they, they might not look at that uh, that way. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I usually – and the other thing, too, is I work with a lot of um, – seems like anyone who does color for me, their career goes up here while mine – Go back down a little. I mean, like I work with Dave Roberts. You know, he's Dodger manager. Uh, work with uh, Craig Robinson, Obama's brother-in-law, uh, who just took over. I think the NCAA uh, head basketball committee here. Um, work with a with a lot of people. Roman Oban, that you know, has gone on to NFL stuff. So um, yeah, work with a lot of a lot of people. Some people I can't. You know, some people I'm like, oh my god, I didn't remember working with that guy, but. Uh, like, like, um, you know, the one guy I totally forgot that was my, my partner for a year was uh, Akbar Gabaja Biamila, who's um, doing the hosting the NBC uh, show, the, the uh, Gladiators or whatever. The new the one. Five million dollars a year doing the Gladiator show. Wow. Uh, and I totally what forgot. I forgot I'd work with him for like a full year on high school. I was watching a Padre game back off the DVR from like 14 years ago and, and had saw me and him working together on something. I was like, Holy crap. Yeah. So, uh, that's awesome. I've always appreciated your versatility and uh, people that do that. I always gravitated towards Mike Tirico uh, when I was growing up, just he, he explained his two weeks one time on sports center and I was like, Holy cow. It was, you know, it was so yeah. awesome. Um, but you worked alongside Tony Gwynn. You, when you filled in for, for Ted, uh, Leitner for SDSU basketball as well, right? 
Yep. Yeah, that was my one was of my he, first ever games. Was he all? I mean, I should probably know this, but did he always do color for San Diego State basketball? Or in in the early days, yeah, he was real versatile to do, because he wasn't in the booth much for baseball. Okay, if I remember correctly, um, for some reason he didn't. Uh, you know, this was early two thousand, like two thousand four. Okay, so I don't think he had a full Padre schedule. He might not have wanted to work that much, and I don't think. Maybe he had just taken over as the Aztec head baseball coach. Yeah, about, about the time, right? So it's yeah. easy to do that. But okay. we just did, um, we just did a, a handful of games together. But he was very complimentary because it was my uh, it was my only like my, my third ever game, and I really didn't have a reason to be doing that game. It was just like Ted Leitner for some reason, and I don't know. You know Teddy was working at ten ninety and doing the morning show or the afternoon show or something, and for some reason. They thought it would be really cool to send him to uh, Baghdad to talk to the troops. Like the troops had any idea who Ted Leitner, right? I mean, like, he, it's not Bob Hope, for goodness sakes. Like, he's a big deal in San Diego. But to send him to Baghdad, where your troops are not all from, you know, Camp Pendleton or even. So for some reason, they sent him over there, and, I w- and they needed three games covered. And I'll never forget their produce- producer, Nick Davis, was like, in a room, he's like, I don't have a play-by-play guy. Do I have a – has anyone done basketball play by play? And I'm, oh yeah, I've done a bunch. I've done, I've done a few games. Hey, you got to do hey, it. Fake until you make it. So I did it, and boom, they were like, "Oh, that's great, man! Can yeah. you do more?" And and then before you know it, I was doing stuff. You're like, "Well, I'm really busy with the rest of my games, but yeah, I'll, exactly. I'll see. I'll, see. <laughs> I'll fit you in. I'll fit you in." Hey, but that's that what you got to do. I didn't know Gosh. shit about water polo, and they asked, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, for sure." YouTube water polo for dummy you know what i mean like you just have to figure it out and like you said they maybe didn't have to send ted but you got to take advantage and and you get in and and now we transition into your emmys uh emmy winner first one uh on the uh, show here so that's exciting stuff but but uh let's talk about that um (laughs) that trevor hoffman 479 record setting save uh not just the call but the moment uh when i look back and watch it petco was packed uh, yeah. it's been, it's been years since then. Petco was electric, um, just an awesome scene environment. If you want to kind of just dive into your feeling where you're a little nervous going into that ninth inning, did you plan out what you were going to say? Uh, kind of, um, how did that go? Well, not nervous because when I told you the CY, CY story, right about the no hitter, potential yeah. no hitter, that was Friday. And I will never forget in the truck. They were like, Hey, you're live on ESPN now across the nation. They picked this up because they would do that, you know? They still do that if it's right. a big historic moment, right? They're, yeah. they're live. So, uh, and then we had all those sort of near near no hitters in it, and that was a big season because the Padres made the playoffs. There was a lot of milestones in that year, and it seemed like every single big moment, like I was I was the guy that that happened to be filling in for Matt. So every time Matt left, it was I just had this lucky moment. And so Friday was Cy, and then Saturday night, um, Hoffman tied Lee Smith, right? So I had that, and then the third game was the record breaking game. So it wasn't, I mean, I was really pulling. I was hoping that would happen. Um, the only thing that I sort of wanted to to um, showcase was the fact that, you know, he's an Arizona alum, okay? So we, and I've known him for a long time, right? Yeah. Because um, he was our, he was a shortstop and he was drafted yep. for the Reds and went on to Billings where he was, he started his career as the Billings Mustangs shortstop, right? So who in their right mind would have ever thought that, the Billings Mustangs closer would one day become Major League Baseball's all-time saves leader. 
So I wanted to work that in, and I did. But as the game progressed and he had a chance to get it, I, I remember starting to get a little antsy and nervous toward the ninth inning because you just don't, you don't want to blow that moment, right? And we, we decided to dump out of the commercial break because the coolest thing about Hoffy coming on is hell's bells, right? Yeah. Bullpen gate swinging over and open. But that's something that normally people don't see live because you're at the break, right? So I remember like everybody was in the truck. The producers were in the truck. The owner of the station, the station manager, everybody was like, hey, man, we got to we we're just, we're going to help you through this. So I remember not to say anything, you know, Hey, after, after eight innings of play, it's four, one Padres and guess what's about to happen. And then you just shut up. Right. And it was like hell's bells of dang. And then him running out and all the great shots. Right. Yeah. Until the end. And then it had the weirdest sort of finish where it was just sort of this, it's like Chuck Swing. Freddie Garcia was the batter, right? And he, yep. That year, he hit like 379. I think he won the National League batting title, or maybe he did the year after. He had this sort of weird swing, right? And I looked down toward third, and I didn't see that he fell. He actually fell in the box, so it wasn't going to be as close a play. But it got by the third base. So it was toward – I remember saying toward third, which is now kind of in the 5.5 hole, backhanded by Blum was the shortstop, and he's got a hurry – and he just fired it to first, and then it was over. And it was just sort of like, you know, say 479, this is great. And then shut up until um, – Take a moment. Oh, it was perfect. seconds or something, and then talk about, you know, hey, did, did you ever think the Billings Mustangs closer would be, you know, the all-time yeah, yeah. leader? So, you know, it, it was something I sort of had prepared and I, kind of a rough outline of what I was going to say. Yeah. You and hear just, so many times, though, of – like, uh, I don't know, I've heard in interviews and whatnot where it's like, don't go in with a premeditated, like, s- saying or catchphrase or anything like that and let the moment take you. But you kind of yeah. had that connection. So I guess that makes sense for you to have, you know, pull that together. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, um, that, is, that is a good point to not, um, and, and I try not to do that ever again. But it was just something where like, yeah, hey, we're both Arizona guys. And yeah. I, and when I first set foot on campus, he was like the shortstop in his junior year. And people knew, I mean, they all knew the story too. But I think it was a good reminder to know because he passed Lee Smith, who didn't have that kind of story. And I don't know, there's, there's guys that have that story, but probably aren't as, as successful. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, yeah, it was I, would cool. say, I would say the only current one right now is probably Kenley Jansen. Yeah, uh, former catcher, right? And Yeah, former catcher. Everybody else, I, for, what I know of, it's maybe Mike Lorenzen, you know, Lorenzen. Yeah. You know, oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. He's a, but yeah. outside of that, most of the guys are all, you know, they're pitchers. I mean, because now the way that the draft has even come is that they're drafting, you know, tail end guys, closers and out of college in the first round now, Yeah, you know, rather right. than drafting some big starter. Oh, he can't become a starter. Throw him in the bullpen. He'll bump up three or four miles an hour. No, they're drafting just tail end guys. So to have the story of, you know, Trevor Hoffman being this great shortstop at U of A, didn't work, kept the big arm, gets on the mound. I mean, one you have one closer as Mariano dominate the whole league with one pitch, and you have the other closer dominate the whole league with two pitches. Right. Like fastball changeup. I mean, just a depth. I remember guys talking Still about see. his changeup and being like, you could sit on his changeup and you couldn't hit it. Right. 
You missed yeah, it, it was just Bugs much. Bunny, man. It was just boom. Yeah, they're like you knew it was coming. You'd look for it for the whole bat, and you'd swing and miss. <clears throat> yep, yep. So and going back cool. to something we had talked about earlier is like what not to say. You know, sometimes you're put in these positions. What I remember mostly about Trevor was the year prior, maybe whatever the year was where he had that bad September and Tony Gwynn Jr. in Milwaukee hit that hit that ball into right field to end the Padres' chances of making the playoffs. I think it might have been 09 or 2010. might have been 09 they were in the Remember race. That? They had like Wells and Maddox. And one day I go into Bud Black's office. He'd always let us kind of come into the office. And the um, on on my seat and on his seat was a, um, a report, the injury report, right? And so it was early September. We were at Dodger Stadium. And I just happened to see bone spurs in Hoffie's elbow. And it was like, oh, you know, I mean, like – Sure, and he was blowing a lot of saves in September, and it was just something you knew, can't say, man, right? Team yeah. has it, and poor guy had to take so much crap on the radio and everything for, and then he, you know, then he had surgery, right? He had to have those things, so it was revealed. It was later revealed, but that's right. another thing where then you got to try to spin it, right? When you're out there, you know full well what's going on, yeah. but right. if you say it, that's. You know, that's basically the end of the Well, I feel, I feel like nowadays you wouldn't have to do that because you don't have as many guys that go out and play through, in, in, you know, injury. You know, back in the day, guys, sure. were, you know, they would tape their arms together, tape their shins, you know, whatever they had to do to get on the field, those guys used to do to get on the field. That ain't the case anymore. So to have Hoffman going out there, blowing saves, but to still that he's got the balls to be out there and be like, I'm going to get this done. Like, I'm the best guy for this job. I'm going to go out there and get this done. Hurt or not, I'm going to try to do this until there was – Obviously, a point where he had to have the Spurs removed. Yep. And by the way, and he was like the nicest guy, and he loved the U of A connection, and he always teased yeah. me about sounding like Matt all the time. He'd be like, you know, <laughs> like, I can't tell the difference between the two of you guys. And I'm like, well, hopefully that'll get me somewhere, but <laughs> yeah. no, my, my baseball career stalled after 2013 season, so. Well, it's definitely picked up in basketball. You're all over the place. Uh, Basketball-wise, you work for a ton of different networks. We mentioned ESPN. Um, But we'll kind of slide into, we see the background there, UC San Diego Athletics. Um, Let's kind of talk about that connection a little bit. As mentioned, uh, I can remember from my PA days, uh, just seeing and looking across, obviously that being what I wanted to do at the time, and, and just watching you, and you were so like calm and relaxed and laughing and having a good time. You kind of touched on that earlier. Is that just always been your style or have you kind of had to work into uh, uh, what you're into now? Yeah, I had an experience um, where, where um, it was 1993 and it was, uh, or 94 somewhere, and it was a Suns game. And you guys will appreciate this because you're all LA kids, right? And so if I, if I asked you who are the top three anchors in Los Angeles, sports anchors, you would tell me who's on channel two, Jim Hill. Yeah. Right. Fred Rogan on channel four. Fred, Fred Rogan. <laughs> yeah, and whoever was on seven at the time had been there for a while. I don't know if it was Ted Doss or anything. And so uh, I was doing a live shot down to Tucson in, in uh, up at a Suns playoff game. It might've even been the NBA. No, it would have been the Lakers Suns, right? Cause those guys were there. And I had to stand in between, I had to do a live shot between, Jim Hill and, and uh, you know, my boyhood idols and Fred Rogan and everything. And I was so ner- like the most nervous I've ever been. And I did the first one at five o'clock and I just knocked it out of the park and they were like, Hey man, you're really good. You're really good. Maybe one day you'll be in LA. The one at six o'clock, I shit myself. 
you would not. I mean, I was like, I'll do better day. I mean, it was the worst thing ever. And then and had, boom goes the dynamite. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> God, there was, I swear to you, it was worse than boom goes the dynamite. And thank God there was no Facebook, Twitter, internet, none of that stuff. And what was even worse was I had the IFB like in my pocket and I'm like digging and I'm looking like a, like I'm picking my butt. And I just, and then I remember, I think it was Fred Rogan. And he just turns to me and goes, you fucking suck. And then he just, now he was joking, right? But so I was like, oh my God. Oh man. <laughs> so one of the guys from the Phoenix market came on and he goes, and this, this is, this was turned it for me. He goes, Hey man, relax. We're not landing airplanes. And ever since then I've been like, you know what? You're right. We're not landing airplanes. Yeah. You know, your worst It's something that you've been working your whole life for, but yeah. <laughs> so, and I haven't had that kind of a, a turd since then. It was early in my career. Those guys were laughing at me and they were, I think wrote, I think he just said, I take back everything I said. You, you fucking saw. And he was just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but I was just like, oh, I was like 22 years old, yeah. freaking out. So that's why I have that calm demeanor now. And I've done it so much. I've got so many reps. Yeah. Uh, but what we do at UCSD is, I mean, I'll put that broadcast that we do on E3, at least last year, up with almost anything that I do when I'm on the regular ESPN. That's sometimes it's not as clean, right? And we don't have the interstitials, the transfers with the music and stuff. But if you're in a bar, right, and the sound's off, and you're looking at it, you're like, oh, I, hey, this Division Two broadcast looks just as good as anything else on ESPN. So Yeah, I agree. Well, talk about that. I mean, you've, you've seen them go from D3 to now one of the top women and men's in the recent year, arguably one of the best programs uh, on both sides in the country uh, for basketball, and now making that transition um, whenever things get underway, but going to division yeah. one now competing in the big West, um, you've had experience. Do you think they can just kind of slide in there? I mean, the talent wise, they've been, they've been pretty good in the recent years, but that's a big jump, um, going to division one like that. Well, I think, you know, on the men's side with the two guards, I mean, you've seen how fast like Tyrell and Mikey Howell are that if you have two good guards like that, I mean, those guys are like almost like Arizona good. That yeah. Fast and he only got, and he only got better. I mean, you saw him a lot more than me, but I yeah. feel like, I mean, that com- confidence goes a long way, man. And you could just see it in that tournament. He went off for what was it? 45 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. 45 and had 10 threes and banked the last game winner in. So, yeah, and he's yeah. and he should be a Division One guard. I mean, yeah. you know, he played with really good players up at Woodcrest, so they're going to be pretty good. But I, I, you know, they'll they'll struggle, I think, for a few years because they won't be able to land the, the, the sort the of guy. Yeah. until yeah. until word gets out, and then word and and it's real hard to get into that school too. So it's going to be a lot. I mean, they're going to have some issues like USD has and that Stanford and all that yeah. of getting in. But maybe they get a couple of grad transfers and and turn it up. Uh, most of the other rosters are getting pretty good, though. I mean, like Santa Barbara is getting legit. UCI, UCI is always top. Yeah. So, eleven team league. It'll, um, you know, it'll take a while, and it'll take a while for the women too. But, um, yeah, but I think well, I, I think they'll be able to compete because uh, you know the Big West is not like uh, it's gotten better. It's gotten better, but it's still not like your dominant basketball league. I mean, when I was at, at Long Beach, they weren't like they weren't dominant. Um, yeah. you know, I think one time we had a chance to go to the to playoffs and it was like, whoa, like, you know, hadn't been there, <laughs> they hadn't been there since Nam. So it was like, you know, 
everyone yeah. was excited. But I mean, I feel <clears> like <throat> if they have a couple good guards, I feel like you guys will probably be competitive in that league pretty quick. I mean, they've done so. they've done a ton to remac um, that campus, that area. It's such a hotbed. But like you said, the awesome. the education part, <laughs> and that was what made them so impressive at the Division two level. I mean, no knock on Cal State's, but to get into a Cal State is a tad uh, different than to get into a UC, and they dominate. And yeah. so many in these last <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in these last couple of years, especially, they've just been it's it's been impressive to watch. Um, so I just yeah, I, I'll be interested to see baseball what they because they you know I mean look they were in the World Series <laughs> three straight year years or something like yeah, that probably yeah. would have yeah. been in it again um, number one in the country for a while yeah. I mean yeah they that. And they have they have something brewing well, for sure. It's it, it's hard to, to I mean as a as a college you know athlete or high school athlete going to college it's hard to look at San Diego and be like nah I don't want to go to school there. right like, especially right. as a Come grad on. transfer you know right older guy. Even, even more so right yeah, yeah. so yeah I agree. but well what are you up to these days Steve you mentioned uh, getting your football your football reel together has that kind of been it have you been uh, watching I'm trying I mean my goal this year was to was to get on a football package somewhere but it's just you know I mean right now I don't even think we're going to have a football season to be quite honest with you on any it'll be tough yeah from pop order as a matter of fact right before I got on here with you I was like has the NFL even said anything like wouldn't training camps be it'd be open right about now right I mean the NFL hasn't and then that month yeah, they're like a week and a half away, yeah. Yeah, and I haven't heard anything. I haven't even heard the media talking about it. Um, so I'm not I'm not real hopeful. I haven't been doing – so I, I struck out in that department. I usually do the high school championship, like the state high school championship, which, by the way, is the funnest thing. You know, if that's the only thing I do, the six games I do, it, it's a blast. I mean, it's just – it's so much fun. And so, you do it with Ricks, right? Do it with Chris – yeah, I've done it with Chris Ricks uh, before yeah. in the past. Um, he's, he's really fun to work with. Um, have, you know, have had a whole bunch of different guys, um, come in, did it one year with, uh, seemed to be getting a lot of UCLA guys. I did it with that former 49ers and UCLA wide receiver for a few years. Um, oh boy. It was a big deal for the Niners. Well, I, I forget. Jared uh, Jack, no, that was best. Uh, uh, he was a wide receiver. You'd know, you know, he was a star. He was a stud at UCLA. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's of, fun. Partner, yeah. So I love doing that, but I just, you know, I just told my wife because now we're going to have two um, college uh, tuitions to pay, and I'm like, by the way, <laughs> da- Daddy's only got one job now. I didn't have nine, like, like on a good year. So, yeah. You know, I'll anchor tomorrow on Channel Eight, which is which is really unique in this COVID era because um, sports is the only people that are left at home, yeah. so we have to do it from home and send it in. Um, and so I do that, but everything else is sort of like just waiting around to see if we even, you know, if that November 10th, you see San Diego Cal games even gonna. Oh, I, I sure hope so. Yeah. That would be so cool. Um, I've heard, I've heard that, that college football is possibly going to be like in the spring. That would be There's... tough to do on the athletes. Um, it'll be, we'll be yeah. in the Ivy league. Um, yeah, I was just going to say the lower divisions are going to go spring from what I heard, but the, the D1 top players are probably not going to know for – they're not going to know yet. And then the actual top players I heard, like, you know, the Trevor Lawrences, they're they're not even going to play. So it's kind of like yeah. why play the season. So Why why yeah. play it that late when the draft's around the corner? It's at that point, mm-hmm. drafted where you're going to get drafted. Yeah, they're not yeah. even playing in bowl games, let alone a season. <laughs> yeah, and it's easy for, like, the Ivy League because, 
you know, if they because they don't participate in the playoffs on any level, yeah. right? And well, in basketball, yes, but for football, right? They're just done. I mean, even if you go ten and zero, that's it, right? <laughs> I mean, if you don't play your two or three non-conference games, so they, you know, they could probably fit in six Ivy League games in January uh, yeah. if they had to. Um, but I don't know. I mean, will people go independent? I mean, I'm, I would assume there's going to be some independent games. A lot of talks on that too. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting. Scrambling to do that. Someone on Twitter, it was hilarious. The internet will just stay undefeated, <laughs> but someone <laughs> tweeted, someone tweeted like apparently COVID is not contagious in non-conference games or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just, I was dying. It's hilarious. Um, but but some, I mean like BYU's lost like five games, you know, they're down to seven, Seven games because they're an independent, you know. Yeah. Do they, you know, schedule uh, home and home in the season with Notre Dame because they're going to be down games, right? So yeah. it's um, – so right now all I'm doing is working at uh, Miramar College. is my full-time job yeah. as the public information officer. And we've had a lot of challenges there too. We're, we're, tomorrow commencement is virtual. First time we've ever done a virtual commencement. Um, and then everything's going to be online in the fall. And I can tell you as a college administrator, like everyone's going to – and I'm, I've been telling my daughter this too is it's like, even though she's going to go to San Diego state, all the classes are going to be online. For some reason, they're going to give her the option to live there and she's going to do it. She's going to, going to go in a dorm. But in my anticipation, that she'll be back by October and, you know, and we'll have a spike. even the smallest spike when you're talking about something state run is going to cancel uh, the, the spring too. So I'm thinking that yeah. fall in 21 is when we're, you know, probably going to see college athletics, from from college all the way down to like I have little kids like what they're doing I mean it's so just disappointing and disheartening to see that like kids aren't having a normal schooling session they're having to go to you know all these all this online crap I mean and you're really kind of disrupting you know development time and uh man it's just it's really disheartening to to see that they're doing this well, that's the great debate right now, right? Like you get kids back in school. And for those people, no matter what side you're on, I go walking almost every day at like five o'clock um, from Torrey Pine State Beach through Del Mar, right? And you say, people say, ah, I don't know the kids. We can't have the kids in, in the classroom. And I'm like, but right now they're on the beach all on, <laughs> all on top. What difference is that? I mean, and they're like right on top of each other yeah. for a mile and a half playing spike ball and all this stuff and laying out. I'm like, well, what difference does it make if they're in the classroom? But I think, but I, I also understand the other side is, you know, the teachers, it's more about, you know, you're going to get the teachers to support. Yeah. Staff I understand them. that too. I mean, you got to look out for their health. They're the ones putting themselves at the greatest risk. I just look at the kids and I'm like, man, just growing up, like, you know, you think of all the days of school, probably most of the ones I didn't want to go to, but. But you had a good go. time. But yeah, I mean, you got to see your friends. I mean, yeah, the thing exactly. I think now these kids don't get to see their friends, you know, except it, through it, this, like through Zoom, doing. right? Yeah, online summer camps. Oh, and I heard that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that drove me insane. I was like, online summer camps. So, what are you Zoom jumping jacks or what? <laughs> well, yeah, like <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna ship the arts and crafts stuff to every single person so they make it together. Like, what's going on? Water balloon fight over Zoom. <laughs> Well, I saw, like, I saw a high school wrestling team out there yesterday. I mean, there are people on the beach. I mean, like, the teams have just gone on the beach. They're, like, 
There's a ton, a ton yeah. here. There's some Which I'm sure is completely yeah. illegal, but they're all they're all out hey, there. The coach I isn't there. One, you know, I'm like whether you like Gavin Newsom or not, I would never be the one to publicly say like you might have to close down the beaches because everyone will kill me. But yeah, they have to <laughs> they have to close down the beaches too. To yeah, the beaches, uh, away from each other because I sound yeah. like the old man. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, I got, I got I have a question for you. Yes. I just kind of my this is my last question. Um, having gotten to play when Vince Gulley could call games was one of the coolest things. And, you know, I have a story that, you know, my most memorable story, Then I didn't know if you had anything with him or a story you'd like to tell. I mean, someone that was so, it's so big in the industry. I mean, my, my personal story was um, we used to have church on Sunday where priests would come in. Well, Ben used to do all the readings. So when you go really? to Dodger Stadium. Well, yeah, that's right. He's very Catholic. Yeah. I, man, I would go to church every Sunday if he did the readings. It was <laughs> the most unbelievable. That was like a letter from Paul yeah, I, to the I, apostles. I, I, oh my God! It was <laughs> the coolest thing. Farmer John. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, out of all the stuff, like you know, it was so like cool as that you know, as a player to hear him talk about. Oh, he's from Santa Ana, modern day kid. Blah, blah. But when I heard and he was reading, doing the readings for, for mass, I was like, dude, this is by far the coolest thing I've had. With yeah, him. I bet. I bet. He was always the one, like I never, ever get starstruck, but he would be the only guy I would get starstruck about. And I've got a couple of photos with him and um, we've talked a few times. I talked like half a dozen times and he had that story, you know, where he told us, you know, at the urinal, Hey man, make sure you, uh, make sure you, you let everyone know about the a no hitter. Um, but I got to, he had a, his uh, right hand man that would do all the stories and all the stats and everything. It's a guy that still does. Um, uh, I can't remember his name because it's been about a year since I worked with him, but he'll do a lot of our stats when I do West coast conference basketball. So I got to know him pretty well and he would tell some good stories and stuff, but he's, he's the only guy, the first time I ever met Scully too, I had like dropped my wallet and he was like, young man. Like, oh, is that God? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> everything. I don't care. I'll go get my license. I'll stand in line for six hours just to hear you say, young yeah. man. You're- <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what it sounded like when I, when I was listening to him do the readings. I was like, God is talking to us right yeah. now. Yeah. Coolest thing. In the just hit me world. different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he'd be the only one. Everyone else, I'd be like, I, you know. It's like, yeah. Like, like, for instance, um, when I was in Tucson, uh, Michael Jordan was in the Arizona Fall League. So I had a couple of times where you just come down, it would just be me and him, you know, because the media, you know, um, excitement kind of wore off after a couple of weeks, right? Cause, and then, you know, he's hitting buck 74 in the Arizona Fall League. Who cares, right? So we would have some, <laughs> some one-on-ones. And there was one time, one big moment where he just happened to get up to bat in Tucson when we were going live on the CBS, you know, the local CBS News. And that, I got to call that play-by-play. And I think he got a base hit out of it. So it was cool. And it went Nashville, all that stuff. So that was kind of that was kind of cool. But never in awe of him. But it was for some reason Scully was always one that I was like. And he couldn't have been nice. You know, he was, couldn't have been nicer. Now, he, nicer. you know, wouldn't know my name or anything like that. When they had him do the first pitch in the World Series a couple years ago, oh, my God. That was like one of the, one of the few moments – that I got like that chill moment where it's like, Oh wow. Like yeah. that was that hit me deep. That was really cool. 
And we know Maybe how much you knows. love the Dodgers too. So that's I know. That's, that's why that's why I say that very loosely. Like, well, uh, he's I mean, not a Just yesterday as I was coming back from walking at the beach where I saw the kids, an Elton John song came on and I was like, you know what? There can't be anyone in the world that hates Elton John. I'm like, let me try and think who had who would have close to a hundred percent approval rating. And I came up with Elton John and Vin Scully. And even Jesus, <laughs> look, we're, I'm a Catholic guy. Like he didn't even have a hundred percent. He didn't have a hundred percent approval rating. Right? Yeah. That's a that's a <laughs> short list. Here, man. Yeah. Wow. Right yeah, I agree. No, that's awesome. You even had the chance uh, to to get some photos and talk with him. I'm sure even he would make you feel like he would remember your name, even though oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he was, that's the coolest part. Yeah. So he was, he was a very nice man or is still a very nice man. Yeah. Yep. Anything else? G you have anything else or before we wrap up? Um, I mean, I was going to ask, uh, you know, just to, to kind of close it out here. When you think of your career, what is the way that you want people to, you know, remember your calls and your, your voice and how you do your, your play by play. Yeah. Your legacy. Yeah. I, you know what? The, the sad part is I don't think anyone is going to, cause I've never had, I've never been able to land that full time job. You know what I mean? I've never been anywhere. Yeah. I mean, but I, I will, I hate to cut you off, but I have to say Mario and Pemba, he wasn't forever the angels guy, but I remember listening to Mario and Pemba. Right. Maybe, I remember Mario and Pemba. At, the time, Absolutely. at yeah. the time he had a cool name. So you gravitate towards that. But like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, you, you can still touch even if, if you're a filling guy or you remember a particular call or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, you don't win an Emmy for nothing. Yeah. I mean, especially because look, I mean, like think about all the broadcasts we just do on E3 for UCSD, right? I mean, we do like almost everything. That's like 195 broadcasts. Back in the day, there was like, you know, one Saturday afternoon game. The Angels only did 40 games on TV, you know? And and the Dodgers didn't, you know, maybe did 60 of them. And so there's so much more choice now that, that, you know, and you can listen in different languages and on different, you know, different calls and everything. So I'm not sure if anyone can make uh, an impact like they – like they used to, unless you're like a big national guy. And then I've never been the local. That's all I've ever wanted to be was the local guy somewhere. But, you know. I hey, that can be your legacy, though. Hey, you've you made know? your mark in San Diego. That's for dang sure. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I'll look back and I'll yeah. be like, oh, God, I had all these cool moments. But, you know. Yeah. You know, I still have to stand at the end of the line at Panera in the morning for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, no one's saying, here you go, Mr. Quiz. <laughs> I love I love that call Tritons versus Stanislaus State. Wow. Yeah. And next time I see you, I'm I'm getting you a Panera and I'm gonna hand it to you. Oh, for sure. that's awesome. Well shoot, Steve uh Steve, thank you so much um for joining us, taking yeah, the time. Yeah, glad we could share our hats, man. I got that I is got three. Yeah, look at the tie. That's awesome. Tie it all together. I collected just a quick story, I collected about three hundred of them, and my rule is I have to go to the game to get them. So, wow, uh, that's awesome. have, you know, I've been to not the best games. at the math, but uh, that's probably 300 games then, huh? It's, it's, spirit played, uh, in field with, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. As I said. 300 games. That is awesome. Pretty cool to see all those minor league stadiums and everything too. It's, it's, it's an experience. Yeah. Nowadays they're all like, they're all the same, right? They're all cookie cutters. Now you can't even really yeah. tell But back then they had a lot of charm and, Yep. You, know, you can probably remember a lot of the charming places you played at. So, 
<laughs> just got one in Missoula, Montana the other day. So it's cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, shoot, there you have it. ESPN broadcaster Steve Quist, thank you again. Hope to see you at Remac and uh, hear those wonderful calls uh, yeah. very soon, man. Hope to see you November 10th, man. It's like five months away. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, all Thanks, right, man. Steve. Enjoy, Steve. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate see it. See ya. So that finishes up the interview with two-time Emmy Award winner and ESPN broadcaster, former voice of the Padres and Angels, Steve Quist. A heck of a conversation with an awesome guy that, you know, I kind of knew him career-wise and he would chat and be, you know, Steve, but it was really cool to kind of see him open up like that and um, his personality come out right away. We didn't even talk about him going to get his senator's hat and how just right from the beginning that whole thing uh, kind of came full circle like that, which was freaking sweet. That was really cool. Um, yeah. But so many things to touch on. We'll dive in here in the wrap-up of the interview. Uh, first and foremost, we mentioned two-time Emmy winner, uh, one of those being the 479th, uh, the 479th save um, from Trevor Hoffman, record-setting save, uh, talking about that moment and – uh, this is a field you you can't script it. You can have everything set up, ready to go, be dialed in, and the game goes a complete different direction or whatever. Um, so it's yeah. a, it was cool to kind of hear him say he maybe had like a bullet point or two that he wanted to say um, and then just let the moment take over and his talents uh, do the rest. And especially filling in. I mean, the guy, he wasn't even, you know, scheduled for that game. Um, trying to figure out and hoping he might have a chance to do it, and then he gets the chance to do it with a fellow Wildcat uh, setting the record in Trevor Hoffman. I thought that was freaking sweet um, coming from a, a fellow broadcaster. Yeah, and he had that personal connection with him too, with the school, and you know, I love that he alluded to that in the call, and yeah, that, that the fact that he uh, he was able to do that, but have those connections with so many others in the business. And I had, his stories about Matt Vaskersian and, uh, you know, his, his quote-unquote twin voice uh, filling in and his stories talking about that and the, their boss not even knowing that one was doing the other, <laughs> I thought was hilarious. Uh, but on top of that, just working with a legend, you know, working with Tony Gwynn and doing the versatility of sports. I mean, this guy's, this guy's a true pro and, and think of the stories that we could have talked about of just him and Tony, you know, maybe hanging out, going to dinner and then carrying those conversations into the game and talking about baseball and the knowledge on baseball. And I know Tony has a, a, or had a pretty good uh, basketball game too. So I'm sure that those conversations yep. were pretty entertaining as well. But, uh, yep. but Vince Scully, I mean, a lot of people get to meet Vince Scully. And not, not at the urinal though. No, exactly. <laughs> that's my, that's my point. Like, but they're, they're all, you know, they're pretty unique so awesome. situations. I don't think that gets more unique and, and personal than that at all. And, uh, taking his few tidbits from, from Vin and his handful of conversations that goes a long way with, uh, with him. And you could, you could see it when he was talking about it. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the Vin Scully thing for me was awesome. It's just, uh, the first time I got to go to mass at Dodger stadium, like I talked about in the interview, I mean, being able to listen to him do the readings, like it was literally like God doing the readings, the voice <laughs> that just like, 
man, I would never skip church if I could hear this every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> as bad as that sounds, oh, it's like, like, oh, man, it was awesome. It was the coolest thing in the world. So to hear him have stories about, like, this legend just giving him tips, that would just be like – that's like a hall of famer giving you a tip on how, you know, what he does when he hits or what he does, you know, you know, on any given thing. So yeah, it was really cool. But what, what stood out to me about Steve too, was um, when we, he was talking about, you know, kind of having to be sensitive about what he has to say because he has to be aware of the families. And um, I understand that because it's very easy to get pissed off at those guys when they're bashing you good. If you know, unless you're, a once in a lifetime type of player and you've been the franchise guy, they're not going to say anything bad about you, but good, bad, whatever's going on. They, they're going to, for the most part, they kind of change like fans do. They'll, they'll get on you when, when you're not playing well. And so to hear him say, I had to keep in mind that these guys had kids, they had wives, they had parents. And, you know, when they were doing something bad, I couldn't, I couldn't bash them because of the fa- simple fact that they had a family to go home to and it's not right for them to, you know, for their kids and families to have to hear, you know, the ridicule. So I thought that was really cool um, to hear somebody say that because not too many guys in that industry could, could give two shits about that. For sure. Oh, and dude, sure, it's yeah. so hard to, he, I think he mentioned, it may have been Vin, another uh, piece of advice from Vin Scully, but I think it was, you know, not becoming best friends with the players you know what I mean it's it's keeping that emotion aside but it's so hard to get wrapped up and you you got to figure it's so hard for um these these teams that are struggling and their announcers that you're with them every day all 162 games you are watching the struggle you are going to get over it he was with the Padres yeah like you're going to get over it at some point you know what I mean at some point you're gonna say something you just unfortunately a fan can let it go sometimes you you say one thing it might not even you might not even think about it but you let it out and now it's turned into a complete mess and it was just hey, everyone funny. has a mom he was very has a mom and a protective one at that i'm sure exactly yep. exactly and and it's it was just cool to to hear him you know talk about that and mention it and um to find that happy medium along the way but there was just so many cool things uh throughout that conversation uh, i'm not sure if you guys have have anything else here before we wrap it up but um, just a very entertaining conversation with Steve for sure. Well, I, I, mean, I hope once, from, no for it. All right. So I was just going to say, I hope once sports get back in, in line here and I hope he gets, uh, get some good, uh, good gigs. And I know he was talking about getting football, but I would love to have him back on and just catch up on what he's doing and just have some more conversations and break down even further. Uh, maybe go into one of his one of his years and break it down that way, you know, and just talk about maybe those tough times with the Padres or the angels or the good times too. I, I'm looking forward to the next round. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd like to, to have him on again, talk to him and um, just kind of get more in depth about the stuff that he's done because you know, it, it just, it sat well with me that he just, he was considerate of the players and their families. And for me, that sits really well because there's a famous, White Sox announcer who uh, didn't have any laws and he he could do whatever he wanted. I'm sure he tended to crush people, and even though not being having played there, we would sit back and listen to the announcer and just crack For up. A long it was time like, he was able to do that. Oh, oh yeah. god, and he crushing people, crushing. And it was, 
as an opposing player, I mean, he did funny stuff for the White Sox and against his own guy, but Boy, I mean, it would be tough to be in a slump with him calling games. I mean, it would just be. <laughs> well, shoot, Danny. Like, for – for I mean, in the minor leagues, I kind of got a, a taste of it. Um, but how about, like, in the big leagues? Are announcers talked about? Like, is that brought – like, is that like – Oh, dude, yeah. Did you, did you hear what Seth fucking said about you? You know what I mean? Like, is that oh, a thing? percent guys say – Oh, we, we talk. They pay we attention. Stuff. Yeah. Well, look, look mean, what happened I with mean, David Price. New York has one. Yeah. Yeah, New York. has got one. Yeah. Mets got one that's got that, you know, he is not afraid because he's a former player. He is not afraid yep. to go in and, and bash anybody about, yeah. who's playing. <laughs> and, you know, he bashed me before and uh, ended up apologizing because I think he realized it wasn't right <laughs> what he said about me. But, um, you know, I, I think when it comes to the former players, sometimes they think, well, I was a former player. I can say whatever I want. I can relate. I get that, but you got to remember, there's families out there, and you're on a platform <laughs> that's going to a lot. Yeah, of you're on a platform where everyone's <laughs> listening to. You can't just sit and bash everybody. You got to be able to be truthful. Now, there's a difference yeah. between being truthful and being just bashing guys. Just what the hell is he doing? I'm sick of watching this shit. Like, you can't do that to guys. You got to be truthful, but you can't. You can't do that. I feel like your own guy has to pump you up as much as possible, even when you're struggling, try to look at the positive and be like, hey, he's been big for us for so many times. You know, he's struggling right now, but, you know, we trust him. Yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be that hard, but, man, those emotions can sometimes just – hey, they're human yeah, too. Yeah. He, woke up, he, 100%. Made, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed just like we all have plenty of times. But like you said, there's, yeah. there's a time and place and a way to go about it, and you hope, you know, at that level that, that guys can kind of control that. Yeah, yeah and, but I like mean, you said, they're human fans. too. They, they they have they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. They have bad days. You don't know yeah. what's going on in their personal life, and you know something happens, and they've already pissed off, and they've seen the same guy make three errors for three days in a row, <laughs> yeah. and it's like Jesus Christ, I'm sick of this shit. I can't, I can't take <laughs> yeah. it anymore. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, no, I I was just curious about that because of of just. Um, it being on yes, the Harrisburg a, guys were talking shit on you. That little Seth, that little something for sure. Shit oh, they they were gonna get him when he gets on the bus next time. We're gonna whoop his ass. They weren't afraid to let me know. It, I uh, but I appreciate <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> but no, I, I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff just in in my little stint there uh, in Harrisburg. And I know we had uh, talked. We actually haven't brought it up about the no hitter thing. Another kind of lesson that he learned along the way. And for me, that was something I learned this past um, minor league year was I didn't know what to do. I, it was my first solo call, uh, nine inning call Harrisburg against um, the rumble ponies. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, solid. I just couldn't, you know what I mean? Like I fortunate uh, my boss, Terry Byram, who's been doing it forever um, kind of was able to coach me along the way, shooting me texts. And um, he was handling some, some again wi-fi issues and internet issues and some technical side things and i got to fill in and do all nine innings and called my first freaking no hitter but it was he brought up a great point if if you turn on the game and on the radio and you know the announcer just casual oh, just for nothing here at the ballpark like you're not gonna maybe stay on or you may turn it off and you may have missed history you may have missed uh something happening or um, anything like that to where Vince Scully, I think it was bringing up like, 
hey man, there's there's magic happening here at Chavez Ravine. Like if you're not doing anything tonight, I suggest you get yourself comfortable and we're making this happen together. You know what I mean? And it was really cool to to kind of hear again just a guy with a little bit of credibility as in Vin Scully just talking to our guest Steve Quist. So it was uh yeah. it was awesome stuff. Yes, sir. So yep, that, I agree. That does it. Episode eight now in the books. Um, be sure to join us next week, episode nine here of the Connected Pisces podcast. A reminder, you can find us on Instagram at CBS underscore podcast, Twitter uh, at CBS pods, and you can catch all episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple podcast, rate us, review us, um, please. We appreciate everything everyone has done. Um, the reviews being posted, the ratings, it's, it's awesome and exciting for us. I mean, shoot, it makes me uh, want to keep putting out episodes, honestly. But a reminder, also check out full-length uh, videos on YouTube of the complete interview. Subscribe to our page. Um, but that does it, fellas. We'll be back next week for episode nine. Danny, Garrett, I'm Seth. We'll catch you all on the flip side. Peace. And everyone in the ballpark will turn their attention to the center field gate that will swing open and take a listen. History this afternoon at Petco Park. Trevor Hoffman, 478 career saves, three outs away from being the all-time leader in Major League Baseball history with 479. Outs. Got him! Two outs away. First things first. Three and two on Batista. Blew the cheese right past him. The heck with a changeup. Great fastball. He's one out away. Two third. Backhanded by the shortstop. Blum got a hurry. Got him. Yes. 479. Trevor Hoffman has become the all-time saves leader in Major League Baseball history, and they're all chasing him.